0: as a Christian, we cannot be limited to ourselves. We cannot be selfish about me and mine, my church program, my church missions, my church efforts. We've got to be able to embrace the body of Christ.
1: Welcome to Baptist Without an Adjective, a podcast of Word and Way. I'm your host, Word and Way Editor and President Brian Kaler. On this program, we'll hear from Baptists from across the denominational, ethnic, national, and ideological lines that too often divide us. At Word & Way, we've been informing and inspiring Baptists since 1896. Learn more about us at WordAndWay.org. This episode is sponsored in part by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Experiencing Christ's love is just the beginning. Pursue your call to love God and love your neighbor at the 2019 CBF General Assembly, June 17-21 to in Birmingham, Alabama. Join the Cooperative Baptist family as they worship, learn, and grow through innovative training experiences, nightly worship, partner events, and a vibrant exhibit hall with booths, live podcasts, and music. For more information and to register, visit cbf.net slash assembly. In this week's episode, we're going to have a conversation with Bob Terry, a former editor of Word and Way who spent 20 years here. In December, Bob retired from the Alabama Baptist, at which point he had marked over 50 years in Baptist journalism, from his time at the Western Recorder in Kentucky, to Warden Way, and then to the Alabama Baptist. I've known Bob for several years. I've appreciated him as a mentor and his insights on the field of Baptist journalism. We've served together on the Communications Advisory Committee of the Baptist World Alliance, and I just enjoy hanging out with him. So it was great to not only get to see him again recently last month, at the Executive Committee meeting of the Baptist World Alliance in Falls Church, Virginia, but then to get him to sit down and put part of our conversation on the record. And before we jump into the interview, I do want to note that last week, Word and Way received 21 different awards from three different religious journalism organizations, the Religion Communicators Council, Associated Church Press, and the Baptist Communicators Association. We're grateful, we're thankful, and we're really just blown away by how our peers in religious journalism have judged our work from 2018. And I'm particularly grateful that this podcast, Baptist Without an Adjective, that we launched just last year in March, won four different awards. Each of the three organizations gave it its top award for an individual podcast episode or an audio news story. All three of those awards went for episode 32 on the Johnson Amendment. So you can go back and check that out if you missed it. And then additionally, the Baptist Communicators Association named Baptists without an adjective as the top overall podcast. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. By being there, by listening, you encourage us to continue and to be able to produce this program. And so we are grateful for you. We hope that you will continue to support this program. If you like an episode, share it on Facebook. Encourage others to check out this program. You can head over to iTunes or your favorite podcast platform and write a positive review, which will help more people to find the show. You can find easy-to-share links at podcast.wordandway.org. And you can also support us by giving. If you head over to wordandway.org and hit the donate button, anything you give will help the production of this podcast, as well as our monthly magazine and our website. But most of all, thank you for listening. And it was also exciting to see that Bob Terry, who you'll be hearing in this interview, Won two awards recognizing his lifetime of achievement in Baptist journalism from both the Baptist Communicators Association and the Associated Church Press. Those are well deserved. So here's my interview with Bob Terry, former
0: editor of Word and Way.
1: First of all, Bob, thanks so much for joining me on the program.
0: Oh, thanks for the invitation, Brian. It's good to be able to communicate with Missouri Baptist and others in this capacity.
1: I often, when I talk about the history of Warden Way, and I know that we were started in 1896,'ll we'll we be 123 years old this July, and I'm only the ninth editor. And when people do the math, they think that's pretty surprising, and part of that is because so many of my predecessors served for quite a while, and you're one of those. You're
0: my, my predecessor's predecessor, and you were at Warden Way for about 20 years.: I was there 20 years in one week, and at the time, that one week was important. H.H. H. McGinty was the first editor after the convention purchased the paper from the Browns and private ownership. Dr. McGinty was there for 20 years, <laughs> and I said, I'd like to be able to do just a little more than that. And I had 20 years and one week, which made me the longest-serving editor at the time. That's since been ellipsed, so that's where we are.
1: Uh, that's right. Well, I've only got about two and a half years down, but Bill Webb in between us did top your mark of yes, almost twenty one years, I think. Well let's let's talk a little bit about that time. You were in Missouri Warren Wave during a significant time in Baptist life nationally, what well, from about seventy
0: five to ninety-five? I came in July of seventy five and served until August of ninety-five. So I was there in a lot of in the midst of a lot of change in Baptist life.
1: So what was that like as a, at the time we were a newspaper, what was that like as a Baptist newspaper editor uh, during that time period?
0: Well, in 1975, Missouri Baptists were having their own difficulties. There was a lot of dissension and a lot of disagreement, which, found its way onto the convention floor, which found its way to open expressions and associations and, in some cases, in churches. So, what I had to do the first few years was simply concentrate on reporting so that we could establish a reliable source of news and information for the Baptist of the state. Now, I don't want to give the impression that we just reflected what was going on, although we did reflect the arguments back and forth about Missouri Baptist life. At the same time, we were trying to, if you will, remind people what it meant to be a Baptist. So if one goes back into those ancient additions, and I say ancient, it seems like that now, if one goes back to those additions you'll see us trying to raise up some of those things that unite baptists some of our commitment to missions some of our commitment to evangelism some of our commitment to church planting some of our commitment to supporting the ministries with which we cooperated at the time so all of that we tried to remind people who we were what we were about As a way of saying, hey, the dissension that we may be experiencing is not who we are. We really are better than this. This is what we are about. So I was glad that I could be a part of the healing of Missouri Baptist life for the first four or five or six years that we were there before dissension in the Southern Baptist Convention took center stage nationally. But I would add that Missouri Baptist did not become bogged down in the SBC struggles for almost uh, seven, eight years after it was going nationally. Part of that was intentional. Our executive director, Dr. Reuben South, and other leaders in the convention wanting to hold us together over those things that united us. So just let me mention that in 1980, we did a statewide simultaneous revival crusade. 79 was building up to that. So in 79, when some parts of the Southern Baptist Convention focused energies toward controversies. We focused energy toward winning people to Christ. And we had a statewide media evangelism effort, which I oversaw. We promoted this program at our state convention, at the associations. We had all of us working together, In fact, I had to raise $500,000 in donations from churches. One of the things we made was little God Loves You pins. And I still wear those little pins. We sold them for 10 cents a piece. We had bumper stickers on the back of the car, Good News, Missouri, God Loves You. And it was a time of excitement. As soon as that was over, we turned around and started Bold Mission Taiwan. And that was a three-year program where we concentrated on trying to do various activities that would strengthen the Chinese Baptist Convention in the Republic of China, which was Taiwan. We did church strengthening events. We did church planting events. We did evangelism events. Again, I had the privilege of coordinating that as we sent teams over about four times a year, resulted in a nationwide simultaneous crusade, planted 25 churches in the time, revitalized, rekindled evangelistic vision. So that, again, was something that held us together and pushed us forward as we concentrated outside of ourselves. So that was a positive that kept us from getting sidetracked in division, at least for a while. So those first 10 years, 75 to 85, were very much focused on working together as Missouri Baptists to strengthen our churches, to win people for the Lord, to do missions together, to grow as Christians. We even had statewide political campaigns, if you will. There were ballot issues that came out of state government. And we were actively involved in some of those. And uh, I was media chairman for a couple of those things. And we won a couple, (laughs) believe it or not. We won one on the gambling. but We lost the most of them. But We won one on gambling. So we had a lot of things going that first 10 years that kept us focused on being the presence of Christ in Missouri and where he opened the door, where God opened the door for us as Missouri Baptists to encourage other Christians. So those were, were really good years. During the time that we were doing those activities, we were growing the circulation of the paper. First 10 years, the circulation of the paper increased, and it was good to be able to have a growing influence among Missouri Baptists. As the paper reached the homes, the people read it, helped shape vision, because we needed all of our people working together in order to accomplish the opportunities that God gave us during that time. I have in my
1: office various mementos, and I have something from just about every past Word and Way editor going all the way back to the beginning. And one of the things I do have is a plaque from the Taiwan Baptist Convention that you must have left when you moved on to the Alabama Baptist. And I have that there in my office, as well as the you know our archives, so I can every once in a while pick up one of the issues and flip through and see, you know, what did Bob write about this issue at this time? And that I enjoy looking through those archives. You bring a wealth of history and information, not just at Word & Way. Before going to Word & Way, you were at the Western Recorder in Kentucky, and then you left Word and & Way and had an even longer tenure at the Alabama Baptist, together more than 50 years in Baptist state papers. And so I wonder, from clearly all that experience, what is it about Baptist journalism that you think, why do you think that's so important? Why did you devote 50 years to Baptist journalism?
0: Well, I want to say a couple of different things at this point. Number one, I have been told that I've served as editor of a state paper longer than anyone else has.
1: And whose record did you beat? Because I saw that.
0: Well, the one that I superseded was Dr. Brown, who was a founder of Word and Way. And in fact, his grandchild was in Birmingham when I moved there. Uh And I became good friends with him and was able to give him a couple of books that I had in my library, which his grandfather had written, and he did not have. So I've been editor longer, and I've got over 50 years in state Baptist papers. So I've been around a long time, I'm sorry to say. You started young. (laughs) I started very young. The second point is that I didn't start out to be an editor. I started out to be a pastor. But I have been doing journalism since college when I worked at Mississippi College in their office and had my first article published in the State Baptist paper in 1963. Then five years later, I went into State Baptist papers, and that's from when I began counting my service. You have to remember that in the 60s, There was television, and there was radio, and there was newspapers. Baptists didn't have, or Christians didn't have, many Christian radio stations. That trend came about 25 years later. We didn't have any television stations. Although, again, about 20 to 25 years later, Southern Baptists tried to start a network of low-powered TV stations. What we had was print, and we had an excellent network of cooperating with our entities such as our Foreign Mission Board, now the International Mission Board, working with the executive committee with Baptist Press as a news service, with various state papers doing the reporting on entities and Baptist life in their area and sharing it with others. We had a very good network of getting national and international news. We were about 10 days behind. A news would happen by the time we got it, got it printed, got it mailed. It was 10 days behind. That was not a terrible handicap 50 years ago. Right, right. To cover our state, like we did in Missouri, we developed a series of correspondence, and we had correspondence across the state. We did that first in Kentucky, then we did it in Missouri, and later we did it in Alabama. And so we were able to gather news in a fairly quick time frame, turn it around, and keep our folks informed. Now, You have to remember, people only watch religious TV or listen to religious radio or read religious newspapers or magazines if they care about those topics. And in the 60s and 70s, there was an uptick in the religious interest of our nation. You can go back and look at the Highest times of Southern Baptist evangelism. We baptized the most people we've ever baptized in the 1970s. The two highest years, I think, are 73 and 75, something like that. So there was a a growing interest in what the Lord was doing in the world. And Baptists going into this with the uh, Jimmy Carter election... That was a positive emotional experience for Baptists because a Southern Baptist was president. But that's not the main point. That got us a lot of publicity as a people. It got us a lot of publicity about what it means to be born again. So we were able to share that message on national television. But out of that increased exposure came bold mission thrust. Today, no one remembers it. But if you go back to the late 70s, you read about the efforts of Southern Baptists to have 5,000 international missionaries by the year 2000. That was doubling the number of missionaries we had. If you look at the church plants that we want to do, 50,000 churches in America by 2000. Uh, If you just go down the list, the dreams of reaching the world for Christ were there. And it was a forward-looking time, and people were excited. And our baptisms were up, and our subscriptions were up, and our church life was up. And then we started disagreeing with each other and we started some trends that have gone down. And because newspapers reflect the interest of people in the churches, subscriptions went down just as Sunday school attendance went down, just as church attendance went down, just as baptisms went down. And as we lost vision of that which unites us, we do what I have called cocooning. We've turned inward. So today, we think a whole lot more about me and mine, my church, the mission program of my church, rather than the mission program of Southern Baptist. And as a result, there's a flagging of interest in religious journalism, be it expressed in a podcast like this or in a newspaper or in a radio show. It really doesn't matter because we're at an ebbing time of interest in working together for the cause of Christ. And one of my Continued prayers for all these years is that God will give us a sense of renewal, not necessarily in denominations, because denominations were created in about the 1700s, but somehow that we can reach out to other Christians who believe like we do, who worship like we do, who have the ethical and moral concerns that we have. And we can join hands with brothers and sisters in our community and in our world to make sure that everyone has opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Christ. To me, that's the core of the church. I know. I know we're supposed to Worship God and enjoy him forever. That's the foundation. Out of that joy of our Lord should be the overflowing of our life that causes us to share our joy, the source of our joy, with other people. And I hope that day returns.
1: As you've noted, it's a difficult time for religious journalism really journalism in general, over a a thousand reporters in secular papers have lost their jobs already this year. In the last few years, we've seen four or five state Baptist publications cease printing and go digital only. I wonder, as you now are a little bit more on the outside and can maybe reflect on that, what do you see for the future or what do you hope for the future when it comes to Baptist and, and journalism?
0: I live in hope. I mean, our God gives us hope, and, and I have hope for God's people. So I, I believe that there will always be the necessity not only of personally sharing Christ, but sharing news about God's people and how they're sharing Christ. So in one way or another, we will be sharing the good news of what God is doing. For the foreseeable future, it seems to me that we're going to get a lot of promotion from our largest megachurches, and we will get an increasing amount of our curriculum from the larger megachurches. They will become the examples, and a lot of people will fall into the sphere of some of the mega-churches and some of the personalities of those mega-churches. If we're talking about journalism, I think that's what's going to happen. I cling to the hope that publications like Word and Way is now coming out monthly, highlighting good stories, highlighting opportunities for people to be involved beyond their local community. I have high hope that that kind of regular communication will do what we did back in 75, hold up the essentials of what it means to be, first of all, a follower of Christ, and then a part of the Baptist family among that larger community. If it does that, then it seems to me that those kind of publications will always be serving an important function. They will be calling us beyond ourselves. And as a Christian, we cannot be limited to ourselves. We cannot be selfish about me and mine, my church program, my church missions, my church efforts. We've got to be able to embrace the body of Christ.
1: Now, being an editor for fifty years, or working at state, I was a publication for that time. You, you have to have pretty thick skin. <laughs> You're laughing; <laughs> so, it's clearly true. What's the issue that got you the most in trouble, or the most feedback or criticism of anything that you ever wrote?
0: Oh, I can't go over fifty years <laughs> that quickly. <laughs> Let me try and answer the question this way. There's a a book called Diffusion of Innovation. And that book was the first one to talk about the innovators and the early adopters and the late adopters and the laggards. and There are five categories. And one of the things it said was that the innovators have very little influence over the rest of society. Because to have influence, you need to be so much like your peers that you have trust. You can be a half a step in front. But if you become an early adopter or an innovator, people cut you off. I've never been an innovator. That's not my personality. I always ask questions. So, you know, I'm more in the middle of the pack in every way anyway. But sometimes when I have tried to innovate, when I have said, hey, there's a a real issue out here and we ought to deal with it, and tried to force the issue on people, then they've not been. Sometimes they've not been ready for that. So I think any time that I have tried to force my agenda on people, rather than waiting for a time when they were ready to deal with the issue, Doctor Reuben South, who was the executive director in my first years there, I used to say, "It's not enough to be right." you have to be right at the right time. Well, I was not always right at the right time, (laughs) and I forced my agenda sometimes. And I did an issue about women in the church in Word and Way early in my time, and Missouri Baptists were not ready to have a serious conversation about that topic in 76 or 77 as it was. And I learned out of that that I am a servant and I need to reflect the attitudes of the people I serve. And if I want to have a conversation, then I need to have that conversation in a way that maintains the relationship and do a whole lot more than just relieve some itch that I might have. So you won't find a lot of groundbreaking kind of stuff that I wrote. I am, was, will continue to be pretty much a Baptist.
1: Well, I want to end this by noting that although you have retired from the Alabama Baptist at the end of 2018, that you are not retired per se. And so uh, people might be interested in learning what you're up to now these days.
0: Some people say I flunked retirement uh, because I retired on the 31st of December and on the 1st of January, I began working with Samford University, a Baptist university in Birmingham. My wife, Pat, teaches there, has taught there for 30 years. And my daughter, Jean, whom some of your readers may know, also teaches there. And I have a grandson who is was uh, finishing his junior year there. But I'm advisor to the president for Faith Networks. That's the title that I've been given. The goal that the president wrote out underneath the job description said, in 10 years, when people think of a Christian university, where there is serious and continuous dialogue between faith and learning, I want them to think of Sanford University. And when they think of a Christian university that is seriously living out its faith, I want them to think of Sanford University. And then said, help us get there. So we're having lots of conversation at Sanford these days about what is a Christian university? What are its various characteristics? What is the responsibility of the people involved, the faculty, the staff, the trustees, the student body? How are we doing? What do we need to do that we're not doing? What do we need to stop doing that we are doing? And when you have 346 faculty members plus staff and 5,800 students. That's a large community to try and find consensus with. So we're spending this semester asking those questions and trying to find answers, and then we'll see what the information, how the information directs us forward from that point.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time and being on the program. And even more than that, thank you for all that you have done, your many years of witness and work. And I personally, I have appreciated your work for a long time, even before I came to Wharton Way. And I know that I I love my job and... It's because of so many faithful editors and writers and others like you who have made it possible for Word and Way to exist. And I'm always grateful for that. So thank you so much for just all that you have done and for being with us today.
0: Well, thank you for the invitation to reminisce and to greet my many friends in this way. I'm appreciative and grateful for the opportunity.
1: Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Baptist Without an Adjective. You can learn more about the Alabama Baptist at thealabamabaptist.org, and you can learn more about Samford University at samford.edu. As always, you can find us at wordandway.org, and don't forget to check out our sponsoring partner for this week's episode, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship at cbf.net. If you have any comments or feedback about this program, I hope that you will send them to me at bkaylor at wordandway.org. Thanks for listening.